Hi, this is Jeannie Patel-Thompson from ListenToYourGut.com, and today I'm speaking with uh, an expert on electromagnetic radiation and electromagnetic frequencies and everything connected with that. So Magda Havas is Associate Professor of Environmental and Resource Studies at Trent University. She teaches there and also does research on the biological effects of environmental contaminants. Dr. Havas received her PhD from the University of Toronto, completed postdoctoral research at Cornell University, and taught at the University of Toronto before going to join Trent University, um, which is also located in Canada. So, Magda, thanks so much for being here today. My pleasure, Jeannie. Magda, the reason I invited you was that there's so many misconceptions and misinformation when it comes to what is called microwave radiation radio frequency. So we're talking about Wi-Fi, wireless computers, cell phones, Nintendos, Wii's, all of these um, wireless devices. And so I thought I would like to do an interview with someone who is a scientific expert themselves so that when we set the record straight, people know that actually this is a PhD who has done her coursework and teaches in this capacity and so the information is a lot more trustworthy than someone like me who's just a layperson who's done a lot of research and is quoting a lot of things secondhand. Mm-hmm. So can we get going? I thought maybe we could start with some of these um, misperceptions because this is stuff I've seen um, presidents of telecommunications companies saying live on television. I've seen it in um you know, articles written for the BBC, which is supposed to be a super reliable news source. I've seen it in the comments that follow an article, people quoting this back and forth to each other saying, well, you don't need to worry because, now here's the first one, a year sitting in a classroom near a wireless network is roughly equivalent to 20 minutes on a mobile phone, which is also a cellular phone. so can you let's let's start with that one. And here's the other one. And this one is is straight from the BBC. The Health Protection Agency in the UK points out that a person sitting in a Wi-Fi hotspot for a year would be exposed to only the same amount of radiation from a 20-minute cell phone call. Mm-hmm. I've heard the same one. Yes. What do you have to say to that? Well, first of all, um, the there are different types of Wi-Fi. Uh, radiation. Uh, not all the radiation uh, coming from uh, routers is as high as it, it, it is in some environments. The wireless routers that we're putting into schools are some of the more, most powerful ones. They reach the greatest distances. So in most cases, they're more powerful than something you would have in your home, for example, where you might use it you know, over a period of you know, three or four rooms and it has to go through one or two walls. So the Wi-Fi, uh, the radiation from Wi-Fi varies depending on on the type of system you have set up, whether it's a industrial grade system as it is in some schools, or whether it's uh, a system for a small home. So that's one thing that we have to differentiate between. The other thing is that when you have a wireless router for Wi-Fi in your in your in a building or in a room. The highest levels of radiation are going to be right where the antenna is, and the antenna is usually put slightly above head height, uh, just below you know, the ceiling on a wall. And so the people who are going to be closest to that will be the ones that are most exposed. And if you have a multi-story building, the person most exposed might be in a different room. They might be in the room immediately above where the antenna is. 
The other hot spot in a, in a room is going to be very close to the antenna on your computer that you're using to communicate with the antenna in the room. And so you're within, you know, one one or two feet at the most from that antenna. And so every single time your antenna, your computer is receiving information, it's downloading information or transmitting information, that's when you're going to have optimal dispo- uh, exposure, maximal exposure. And if you have a classroom with 30-plus students downloading and uploading information to the Internet, that's when you're going to have very, very high levels. And those levels... Uh, once again, depending on the type of the of um, uh, strength uh, Wi-Fi you have, can be extremely high, much higher than what you would be exposed to by simply holding a cell phone to your head for 20 minutes. And you've got to remember that kids are in these classrooms for six hours a day, day in and day out, whereas um, you know you're using a cell phone for a few minutes a day. Ideally, you know, less than that, but uh, just a few minutes a day. So it's very hard to compare the two of them, but my my concern is primarily for the long-term low-level exposure rather than just a few minutes a day on a cell phone. Right. And so can you clarify for me, because I know uh, before I started doing my research, because my, my children's school has wireless Internet, and I thought, okay, well, as long as my kids are not working on the computer, they should be okay. And then I did some more research, and I thought, well, no, they're not, because there's there are four routers throughout their school, right. and they are on all day long. So my children are receiving radiation at you know varying levels throughout mm-hmm. the entire day, whether they're on a computer or not. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. Now I've so, never been able to measure the Wi Wi-Fi radiation in the school because schools won't allow me inside. Right. We we actually set up a meeting in a, a school in Toronto where uh, one young girl became uh, quite ill. She passed out um, when she was actually standing very close to a, um, an antenna. She didn't realize it, and she simply collapsed in the hallway. And she's done that a number of times now. Um, the parents contacted me. Um, I asked if I could go into the school to find out what the levels of radiation were. And initially they said yes, and then as they spoke amongst themselves, they said, you know, we really don't want to know. We don't want you in the school to do the measurements. So I haven't they been able to. They don't want to know. They don't want to know. No, no, because once well, they know. Well, of course they don't. <laughs> exactly. They become liable once they know. And so as long as you can, you can act like an ostrich and keep your head, you know, in the sand, then, you know, you can pretend that it's not there. And that's that's very irresponsible as far as I'm concerned, especially when we're dealing with the health of young people. Okay. So let's move on to the next point, all right? This is another thing that you'll see, I've seen again over and over in numerous sources. FM radio and TV signals are similar in strength to that from Wi-Fi in classrooms, all right? And then again, from the BBC, the modulated frequencies that carry Radio 4 and ITV into our homes are just as powerful as the wireless networks and a lot more pervasive. Um, I got another even more technical quote. Wi-Fi mm-hmm. systems emit high-frequency electromagnetic radiation, but at very low power, mm-hmm. approximately 0.1 watt emitted from both the computer and the router antenna, compared to a cell phone that emits 1 to 3 watts. Cell phones are 10 times stronger than Wi-Fi, Cell phones are a hundred times stronger radiation than Wi-Fi. So we have like various quotes. Some people saying it's ten times stronger. Some people saying it's one hundred times stronger. But they're basically comparing it to the FM, uh, AM, FM radio and TV signals. 
Okay, let's 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 talk about AMFM radio to begin with. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> We've had radio with us since the beginning of the 1900s with Marconi and um, Tesla. They're they're the two people who have been attributed to you know inventing the radio signal. The radio is not in a microwave range. What we're talking about when we're dealing with Wi-Fi, what we're talking about when we're dealing with cell phones or cordless phones, is we're talking about microwave radiation that's very similar in frequency to your microwave oven. Indeed, um, and and I don't want to get too technical, but the frequency we use for a microwave oven is 2.4 gigahertz, which is 2.4 billion cycles per second. So this is vibrating very, very quickly, obviously. The Wi-Fi is also at 2.4 billion cycles per second, and your cell phone is at 1.8 or 1.9 billion cycles per second. Whereas when we're talking about radio, we're talking about cycle, we're talking about a frequency that's in the low megahertz range, which is in the low million cycles per second. That's not microwave frequency, that's called radio wave frequency. That is not sufficiently strong to heat your body. The heating comes from microwave energy. That's why, you know, we use microwave ovens to heat our food. So that's the first distinction. So we're talking about a a, a different part of the electromagnetic spectrum that doesn't have the same amount of energy. The amount of energy in in, uh, electromagnetic um, uh, um, frequencies is frequency-specific. So the higher the frequency, the more energy. And if we go higher and higher and higher, we reach something called ionizing radiation like X-rays and gamma radiation, which everyone agrees is very harmful, not because it has a lot of energy, um, in term, sorry, not because it has a lot of power, it's because it's very high frequency and it can ionize, it can penetrate your body and dis- disrupt DNA, it can break bonds between cells. So it's not the power that's critical, it's the frequency leading to the energy, okay? So that's one distinction that needs to be made uh, about this. The other distinction that needs to be made is how things are modulated. So uh, when we have um, an an AM station, AM stands for amplitude modulation. And what this means is that if you have a, a station, let's say 1050 on the dial, that 1050 is is the frequency that it's operating at. It's operating at 1.05 megahertz. So that's the, the ch- channel you tune to. When you hear the sound coming from it, that's called amplitude modulation. So the things are going up and down, up and down in a nice, smooth, continuous wave. When you have FM, you're talking about frequency modulation. And so you're at a slightly higher frequency. You know, you're in the you know, low um, um, 70 megahertz range, for example, and you have little spikes that are coming out telling you what the sounds are that, that um, becomes modulated. When you're talking about Wi-Fi, you have pulsed, digitally pulsed modulation. And all the research that I've been able to read recently, when you're looking at amplitude modulated, the, the AM radio station, for example, and you're looking at pulsed modulation, the pulsed modulation is much, much more harmful in any of the studies that I've been able to read from Eastern Bloc European countries uh, where they've done a lot of a lot of this research. So we have Wi-Fi that's pulsed modulated, which means that if you take a meter and you, you you have a sound coming from it that's telling you whether you're exposed to this going pop 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 so you've got the 2.4 
gigahertz that's carrying this, and then you've got these pulses, you know, roughly 100 times um, a second, and that's what's causing some of the damage. So you've got to take a look at things in total. You can't simply say this is a higher frequency or a lower frequency or this is more power or less power. You've got to really take a look at the thing and, and put it together. The most harmful radiation that we have in the microwave band is 2.4 gigahertz. It's the one we use to heat food. And initially when, when these frequencies were used for different things, it was the most effective at heating. That's why we use it in the microwave oven. It's also one that's not licensed, which means that you can have a microwave oven in your home and you don't need to have a license for it. Whereas if you're a radio station or uh, if you're a cell phone distributor, you have to get a license from the federal government to be able to operate at that frequency. So 2.4 is not licensed, and that's why so many different devices are coming in. At 2.4, they don't require a federal license to operate. Unfortunately, this is the one that heats your body the fastest. It's the one that's actually the most damaging in the studies that I've seen. So, you know, we're not doing really smart things with the way that we're using this technology, and and using 2.4 is probably about the worst things we can do. So are you saying that 2.4 gigahertz would be more damaging than, say, 6 or 5.6 gigahertz? That's correct. That's correct. That's what the evidence is showing. Um, There's one study I just read quite quite recently where they looked at four different frequencies and the two most harmful ones were 2.4 gigahertz and 900 megahertz which was what was used originally for the analog phones so when we first had analog phones that was a dangerous frequency and now the 2.4 which is just being it's used for baby monitors it's used for everything because you don't require a license for that range and sorry analog phones are what cordless phones uh, no, analog phones are the okay. The difference between analog and digital is the way that the wave is propagated. One is a smooth, continuous wave, and the other is a pulsed wave. It's the pulse okay. that we're finding is actually more damaging. So we're we're mov- moving more and more to pulsed frequencies, and they're the ones that are most damaging biologically. So the 900, did you say 900 gigahertz? They Mega, are, megahertz. megahertz. They megahertz. were 900 megahertz. So it's 0.9 gigahertz. So were those like the original, you know, huge cell phones that came That's out? That's right. That, well, yeah, oh, okay. the original ones were even at slightly lower frequency than that. But, yes, the, they're the ones that once they became quite popular, a lot of people had 800, 900 megahertz phones that they were analog phones. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to kick in with some practical, common sense objection right here. Okay, so if 900 megahertz and 2.4 gigahertz are the are – the, frequencies that they found to be the most damaging, Mm -hmm. I would say, okay, so let's look at all those Wall Street brokers who jumped on those, we used to call them weapon phones when they first Mm -hmm. came out. That's right, yeah. Um, And they've had those pressed against their head hours and hours a day, and it still takes them 10 years to develop a brain tumor. Then how then so this is what I'm hearing and I gotta admit in the back of my head this is playing okay so if ten years pressed right against the head hours and hours a day takes ten years to develop a brain tumor how worried do I need to be about Wi-Fi coming in from the neighbor's house or my kids sitting in a school that has Wi-Fi like if I'm if I'm making sure that every other aspect of their life is healthy what really what is the risk? Okay, well, let me just correct you on one of the things you've just said. First of all, the studies that have been done looking at cell phones and brain tumors were not based on those early phones. 
Okay, they're based on the much more recent technology, so they're not based okay. on necessarily on the 900 megahertz, you know, four watt phones. Um, and the people that uh, found the studies that showed an increase in brain tumors and various types of tumors uh, on the same side of the head, it was based on uh, individuals who had half an hour exposure per week or more. So we're not talking about hours and hours and hours a day. Right, right. They're the ones that develop the brain tumors. Now, for a brain tumor to develop, the latency, the period between um, you develop, you having cancerous cells in your brain and for those cancerous cells to grow large enough for us to be able to detect them or for, for doctors to be able to detect them, takes about 20 to 30 years. So the fact that we're, we're finding them developing for people who use a cell phone within 10 years is, is very disturbing. And that's for adults. It's not for kids. One of the things mm-hmm. uh, that a study was done looking at uh, tumors, and it was done by Professor Leonard Hardell in Sweden, who's one of the leading experts in this area globally. And he compared people who were under the age of 20 when they first started using them versus those who were over the age of 20. For those over the age of 20, the um, increased risk of diff- developing various types of tumors was roughly um, twofold. Okay, so it's twice as many people developed them that should have developed them. For those who were under the age of 20, it was uh, fivefold higher. Wow. So these people are, and we know this, you know, children are much more sensitive to this radiation. Now we have eight-year-olds who have a cell phone. And, you know, I, I, I dread what is going to be coming out in the statistics uh, looking at pediatric brain tumors. And we, we're already documenting them, and the numbers are increasing. Despite what um, national statistics are saying, I found a, a report that said that there was actually um, misinformation that wasn't put into national statistics reporting these cases. Um, it was deliberately left out, or it was left out, whether it was deliberate or accidental, I don't know. But it was left out of the national statistics, so it doesn't look as though anything's increasing. But you talk to pediatric surgeons and around the world, and they will tell you they're seeing younger and younger people coming in with brain tumors mm-hmm. and more of them. And this isn't, you know, just a handful of them around the world. It's it's quite a few who are saying the same thing. So we're not comparing those old clunker phones that were very powerful with adults using them for hours each day. That's not the comparison. We're comparing uh, people, adults, who are using the normal type of technology we have have had over the last 10 years, and they're exposed to them at least a half an hour. That's how, that's how some of these studies were done, at least a half an hour a week. That's nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's our background now. That's for people who aren't exposed. Um, so, yeah, exactly. So it's not a fair comparison uh, in that regard. We know that children are very sensitive, and once again, what the research is showing that you can have, um, you can compare the effects of uh, short-term high exposure to um, long-term low exposure, and you get the same results. So having children sitting in a classroom for six hours a day using their computer for a part of that time means that their body's you know, constantly exposed, and, and it varies somewhat you know, with intensity depending on how many kids in the class are using it, to microwave radiation. These same kids then go home, and they have wireless routers in the home. And so they're exposed to that radiation. Most people will not turn their wireless routers off at nighttime. 
so they're exposed in the middle of the night. Their little bodies don't get out of this radiation at all. They're constantly exposed. They have no ability to repair the damage that this radiation is doing, and so Mm -hmm. they become ill. And the illness is not necessarily a cancer. It's a headache. It's feeling achy. It's not getting a good night's sleep. It's being exhausted. It's not being able to concentrate in school. And then some percentage of these kids are developing heart arrhythmia and heart palpitations because your heart is an electromagnetic organ. We know it affects the brain cells, um, your ability to think, brainwave activity in in children. And the effects last well after the exposure stops. But for these kids, the exposure never stops. They're just constantly exposed. It's that's what you've raised is what I find a very interesting point because the common perception is look if this radiation was so damaging more people would be affected but look around everybody's fine and then you say well here's here's what you actually need to look for mm-hmm. right and you you start going through the list and nobody's connecting the dots between the the worsening health of their children and of themselves like they're saying oh you know my hormones are unbalanced and um my you know i just i need to take more and more supplements to you know not feel so i'm really fatigued nobody's connecting the dots between well you know why are you why are we having all of these you know quote small symptoms ongoing all the time why is nobody saying no i'm i'm really healthy i feel really good every day that's right and actually if you look at the amount of medication that's sold a lot of the medication is sold for depression, which is one of the symptoms, uh, yeah. for um, insomnia, which is one of the symptoms, and for pain, which is one of the symptoms. And, you know, we've done studies in schools, and we think that probably a third of the population is affected by this form of energy, and they're just chronically ill, or they're just not really healthy. They're not very vibrant. And many of these people Absolutely. will tell you, well, I'm, I lead a stressful lifestyle, that's why I feel this way, or I'm getting old, that's why I feel this way. But they go away somewhere into a clean environment. And I'm not talking necessarily about going on a vacation and you know not having any work to do because that's not a fair comparison. But they go into a clean environment, they visit a friend, they stay for a weekend or something, and they sleep well. And you know they wake up and they're not tired in the morning. And, and funny enough, their lower back doesn't hurt for some reason. And a lot of this can be attributed to their exposure to electromagnetic energy in their normal environment. Or higher levels, because now what I'm saying is, how do you get a clean environment? Because, you know, for our family, we're aware of this. Okay, I don't even own a cell phone. My husband, after continual, you know, getting barraged by all the research for me, has now reduced his cell phone usage to probably less than 10 minutes a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't allow my kids to have cell phones. They have a Nintendo, but I don't allow them to play the wireless. Mm-hmm. We, of course, have cable computers. However, a 1,000 meters away is a power line, and sitting on top of it are four cell phone towers. Yep. And then our next-door neighbors have wireless. And I had someone come here to test, and their wireless is coming into our house. Mm-hmm. It's coming into our bedrooms. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm starting to feel, you know, we've lost our choice. That's I'm right. trying to say, okay, so if my kids are radiated at school, you know, and I can't, you know, really get the gumption to pull them out at this point, but at least I can at least I can keep things clean at home and that's even been taken away from me. So now I'm thinking, well, now what do we do? Right. 
Well, I think there's going to be some um, class action lawsuits uh, coming up fairly fairly soon because uh, more and more people are getting sick because of the wireless technology that their neighbor has, and it's coming into their homes. Um, also, they're putting smart meters on homes in Canada in a number of different provinces, and uh, smart meters use microwave energy as well, to, and in some American states as well. And I know people have been contacting me who have a smart meter on their home, and some of them are, are sensitive, and so they're they're reacting to this. And what we're doing is is recommending ways that they can shield their internal environment, not the smart meter, because that has to communicate, but uh, where they can begin to shield their exter- internal environment. And some people are actually refusing smart meters because. Um, uh, of the uh, exposure and their their ill health, but also there's evidence that they're um, not reading correctly. They're giving you much higher readings than what, what electricity you're using, and some of them have been improperly installed and, and they've had fires with them as well. So there's all sorts of reasons why you, they, we shouldn't be using smart meters on the homes. Mm-hmm. So let's get into some practicalities. In your opinion because you're you're on top of all of the research across the board and you're seeing the real life susceptibilities okay some people are susceptible some people are sensitive some people are not mm-hmm. if okay if i have a child in a school that has wireless computers but my child is is showing no overt signs of hypersensitivity okay maybe mm-hmm. the child gets a nosebleed maybe they get a skin rash from time to time mm-hmm. but nothing that can be tagged unequivocally to wireless exposure. Right. What sh- what should I do? Well, I'm not I'm not in a position to tell parents what they should do um because I I feel really uh, when you make choices like that it's based on more than just the science. It's it's based on your value system. It's based on how much money you have, whether you can afford to put your kid in a school very often, you know, you might have to pay more to to put them in a school that doesn't have wireless um, if you have to, you know, bust them further away, things like that. So I really feel that the decision that parents end up making have to weigh all of that and balance all of that. As a grandmother, I don't want my grandkids in a school with wireless technology. I simply don't want that. And I know that parents feel, some parents feel the same way. They've offered to purchase um, cable for schools so that they don't have to go wireless. In some schools, they're actually putting wireless in where the cable already exists. (laughs) So they're having a redundant system because they think it'll be better, it's more modern, it's more progressive. And actually, it's it's a worse system from various perspectives, including um, um, uh, security, for example. It's much easier to tap into your computer in a wireless mode than if you have cable, for example. And... um, it's not as fast either. So if you have 30 kids in a classroom downloading information at the same time, it's going to be very slow. Uh, so you're, you're not even dealing with the best technology. It's the cheapest technology, and that's why this choice is being made. It's convenient and it's cheap uh, in the short term. It's going to be extremely expensive in the long term. So my recommendation is for the schools to either go wired, if possible, if they've already gone wireless, to limit the exposure to just part part of the school so that, um, you know, you might have a computer lab that's wireless and you go into a room, get the information on your computer that you need, and then you go back to your seat and and you're not in a wireless environment. So, you know, doing it that way, turning it off when no one's using it, uh, allowing wireless-free areas in the school I think is extremely important. And then any parent who wants their child not to be exposed, they should have that choice. 
you know, you don't want your child to be exposed um, to cigarette smoke. And so we banned smoking, in, you know, on school property. When I was a kid, you know, kids could smoke in the schoolyard. It was, you know, um, but we've banned that. We don't allow peanuts in schools because a very few number of children have peanut allergies. Um, and so we have to you be know what? very that's cognizant. Actually, that's actually a very good comparison because that's another argument that you hear. You say, well, listen, there's such a low percentage who are sensitive. Why should the rest of us suffer? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, hello, peanut allergies. That's right. I mean, that is a prime example. There's mm-hmm. so few children allergic to peanuts, but nobody's allowed to bring anything containing, and in some schools they've banned all nuts. That's right, that's right. Which is, for me, a very, serious ex- inconvenience. Exactly. Yes, exactly. But you're willing to do it because someone else's child, their life might depend on it, so you're willing to do it. Also, when parents are, when when your child goes on a school trip somewhere, your you know form comes home asking you if you give them permission to leave the school property on this trip. Well, you should be asked you know for all sorts of safety reasons. You should be asked the same thing. Do you allow permission for your child to use a wireless computer? Mm-hmm. And if your answer is no, then the school should, in my mind, uh, make alternative arrangements for that to happen. Mm-hmm. I actually think that just like asbestos, we're going to be ripping out wireless technology from schools within the next five to ten years because so many kids are going to start getting ill if they're using the high exposures that they're using in some of the schools here in Ontario. Right. Because they have industrial strength Wi-Fi monitors, uh, Wi-Fi connections. Um, But really there's no way for us to go into our schools and find out what they have. But would you say that if a school, if the whole school is wireless, it's going to be at industrial strength? Probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's... It's the best system for the school in terms of connectivity. So you're not going to have any, you know, you're going to have um, no areas where you can't use the technology. Yes. And it's, it's the IT It's the IT people that are, are pushing this because, uh, you know, they want to make sure that you've got all the convenience of using your computer, you know, while you're in the toilet in the washroom if you want to. And, um, yes. and I don't think that's necessary. And certainly kids under the age of, um, you know, what, about 10 uh, I don't think they need to use wireless technology. Um, I think there's a lot of ways of teaching them with, without having that wireless connection in an elementary school, for example. Well, and if you look at the Waldorf school system, which I think is one of the best in the world, mm-hmm. they don't even allow their children, the kids, on the computers until grade 12 because they say, you know what, they, and they have you know plenty of studies and information to back this up, that it's not only is it not needed, but it interferes with other vital brain development processes. That's right, and, and there's some evidence that it's being um, addictive as well. Yeah. I mean, not only to kids, but to, to adults. You know, there are people who can't leave their home without their cell phone, and they have to check it constantly. And you know, you, you, you're having lunch or dinner with someone and they're constantly pulling out their phone to see if they've got any messages. And to me, this is really sick behavior. It's it's not normal behavior. No, mm-hmm. Not one of us, except perhaps if you're, uh, you know, delivering babies and you need to find out if you have to rush in for, you know, um, a surgery, do you need to have that kind of connectivity? And I think it's a, just an addictive um, behavior that we're beginning to uh, experience. So if it was your child in a school... And there were because there are no wireless schools around us <laughs> anymore. So mm-hmm. it's not like I could say, "Well, I'm going to put my child, pull my child out of that, and put them into this school." There is nothing left that's mm-hmm. not wireless. You you're no longer able to have a choice. That's right. Yeah, there's no choice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
would you then say your your I'm not asking about your recommendation, I'm asking about you, it's your child. Mm-hmm. Would you say, Well, I'll homeschool then? Well, that's what a lot of people are doing is they're going to homeschools. You know, as a as being in this field as a grandmother, I would I would like to be able to go into a school and actually measure the radiation. And if the levels are sufficiently low, I might not be too concerned. But if they're high, I would, you know, yank my grandkid out of there as fast as you could, you know. um. Okay, so what would be a sufficiently low level? Well, if it's below the the 0.1 microwatt per centimeter squared, I probably wouldn't be too concerned. Um, If it's anywhere above that, um, the higher it is, the the more concerned I would become. Now, that's well below our safety code guidelines. Um, I was going to say... That 0.1 microwatt per centimeter squared, isn't that the safety maximum in most of Europe? No, just a few countries in Europe have adopted it so far. Yes, but more and more, I think, are considering it. Um, And that's for outdoor exposure. For indoor exposure, it's 0.01. And I know people who are electrically sensitive still react to the 0.1. We did a study just um, uh, last a few years ago. It's just coming out this year where we tested the response of the heart to microwave radiation. And the R exposure was 0.3, so it was three times higher than that uh, guideline that I just mentioned. And several of the people we tested blindly, so it wasn't a psychosomatic response. They developed tachycardia, which is a rapid heart rate, and arrhythmia instantly as soon as we exposed them to the radiation from a cordless phone at 2.4 gigahertz. So, um, you know, if if adults start having those symptoms, and I know quite a few adults who have them, um, they suddenly feel their heart starts beating, they have this pressure and pain in the chest area, um, they, they, they're having an anxiety attack, that's how they interpret it, or they're having a heart attack and they don't know which, and it scares them incredibly. Well, children are now beginning to have these problems. In the Simcoe County School Board, I think there are two children now who are on heart medication because their heart reacts abnormally in the school environment. They're fine on the weekends, they're fine at home, uh, you know, any other time, but when they go to school, their heart reacts. And I think it's quite likely that both of them um, uh, might be reacting to the microwave radiation. We've, you know, contacted the school and asked them if they would, you know, just turn it off or turn it down so that the levels are, are not as high, or even do an experiment where they turn it off for a week to see if these children are having the same symptoms. It's more than two that are having the symptoms. It's just two have been um, are now on heart medication. And I think that would really begin to help us understand whether it is Wi-Fi or whether it's something totally different. Mm-hmm. And now you said that, okay, so what you would consider uh, an okay level for school exposure would, would be below 0.1 milliwatts per right. centimeter squared. Mm-hmm. And just for comparison, microwatts tell per us, centimeter squared. Sorry, microwatts mm-hmm. per centimeter squared. Can you tell us for comparison what is the current Health Canada Safety Code 6 level that they say is okay? 1,000. 1,000. Yeah. And that really is the problem because I've talked to the principal. I have talked to the school boards. They all say to me, this is not my area. I just follow the directions from Health Canada Safety Code 6. And it all, everybody refers you back to there. I'm powerless. There's nothing I can do. Health Canada Safety Code 6. Mm -hmm. And you look at Health Canada Safety Code 6, it's 1,000 versus 0.1. That's right. And the, the Europe that have looked at the same research. That's right. And the guideline in, in Russia is 10. So even the Russian guideline is much lower. It's 1% of our guideline. 
uh, and they limit exposure. They say the higher the levels are, the, the less you can be exposed in that environment. So um, Canada's guideline is based entirely on heating. A long time ago, scientists made the assumption, and it was an assumption. They did, you know, they were guessing. This technology was invented, and they had no idea what the health effects of it might be. And so they tried to get as much information together. But they said, look, we know microwaves heat because the guys who work on radar are getting warm. <laughs> we know uh, we can use it in industrial sealers because it's, it's a good um, way to heat plastics and to heat water and that kind of thing. So we know it heats. So as long as we can prevent it from heating your body, it's safe. Well, that's nonsense. We we have now thousands and thousands and thousands of scientific documents, peer-reviewed, uh, published documents that are saying there are all sorts of health effects below the heating. And they affect your nervous system. They affect the um, blood-brain barrier. They affect enzymes in your body. They affect calcium movement. They affect reproduction. I mean, I can go. They affect your sperm. They. I can go on and on and on and on. Um, and for some reason, Health Canada has decided to ignore this information. And so they're saying, if it doesn't heat your body, it's not harming you. And that's wrong. That's simply wrong. Now, it's not for a school board to decide what is safe and what isn't. So they they're basically saying, and and this is this is correct for them to do so. That we're going to look to the highest health authority in Canada which is Health Canada. So it's really Health Canada that is letting all of us down by not uh, adjusting their guidelines based on the science that has been available, by the way, since the 1950s and 60s. So this has been available for decades, and they Mm -hmm. simply choose to ignore it. So then you have to say, follow the money. (laughs) <laughs> oh, definitely because normally when governments, when governments ignore scientific evidence that is this strong and this um, prolific, it's because somebody is paying them to look the other way because they're That's benefiting. Right. That's right. That what, but what that really means is that we have to take responsibility into our own hands. If your daughter is passing out every time she goes near a wireless router in the school environment and the school tells you it's perfectly safe, you know, you can sort of look at your daughter and say, okay, is she doing this on purpose? Is she play-acting? And if she isn't play-acting, then it's not safe. <laughs> you know, you have to you have to really um, use your own judgment on this because you can't rely on Health Canada for the guidelines in this. And so I'm basically telling people, uh, be aware of what's in your environment. Have it measured. Measure it yourself, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, some of the equipment is not very expensive, but you can have it done professionally. Find out what you're exposed to. Find out how to, how you can minimize the, your exposure. You don't have to eliminate it. Just just cut it back as much as you possibly can and still use the technology that you need to rely on. Uh, and then monitor your health and see if your health improves as you begin to cut back. And if you're electrically sensitive, there's all sorts of things you can do. You have to cut back on your exposure then. You have no choice because you will become sick and you will become sicker as time goes on. You have to build up your immune system and you have to detoxify your body and get rid of all the other toxins that are um, making you, you know, uh, increasing your sensitivity to the electromagnetic frequencies. And once you do all of that, a lot of people, you know, have been recovering. They are recovering uh, from this exposure. But see, I hear hear a huge contradiction in that because on the one hand I'm hearing, and I'm not attacking you, I I want you to explain to me. On the one I'm hand, used to I'm being hearing... attacked, by the way, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to join that camp. Okay. <laughs> um, on the one hand, I'm hearing 
this technology is dangerous because it causes things that even aren't immediately evident, like DNA breaks mm-hmm. and enzymes and, and, and mm-hmm. sperm count and, and hormonal balance and stuff like that. So on mm-hmm. the one hand, we're saying this technology is dangerous. Then on the other hand, we're saying, well, you don't have to completely get rid of it. Just, you know, cut it back to what you need and see if your health improves. And so I'm kind of left going, well, either it is or it isn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like, it's not like, and I know, okay, so let's take the smoking analogy. You can Mm -hmm. say, look, we have decided as a, as a, you know, culture or country that Cigarette smoke is carcinogenic. It's dangerous to your health. Yet at the same time, we acknowledge that not everybody that smokes gets cancer. Not everybody that lives in a secondhand smoke environment gets cancer. So are you saying it's similar to that type of thing where there is always going to be the exception to the rule, but for the majority of people, we can say that this is bad for your health. You should basically get rid of it um, as to to whatever limits within your power. Mm -hmm. Okay. It is similar to smoking, and you're correct when you say that some of the damage you can't see. If it's damaging your DNA, that might show up, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. So you're correct about that. What I what I was referring to are people who are symptomatic, which means uh, they go into a room, uh, there's a cordless phone there, and they develop a headache within a matter of a few minutes. They don't have a choice. They can't be in that room. Right. Uh, you know, without having a headache. And the headache could be very severe. It could be totally debilitating. So their choice is taken away from them as to whether or not they can be exposed to this radiation. However, if those individuals who react very strongly and have these symptoms, if they eliminate the exposure or minimize it as much as they possibly can and then begin to build up their immune system and begin to detoxify, eventually they'll be able to go into that room with that cordless phone there and they'll be able to be in there for a couple of hours without developing a headache rather than developing it right away. Do you see what I'm saying? So your symptoms your symptoms will actually go away because your body's able to fight it better. When you're when you're totally depleted of everything, you know, a little flu comes along and instead of you staying in bed for a week, you're in bed, you're sick for months. Your body can't fight it. And so what we're what we're finding is that your body can eventually fight it if you build up your immune system and minimize your exposure. Okay, so, so then bringing it back to the practical. I'm a natural health writer. My kids have been fed organic, unprocessed food from birth, probiotics, vitamin D, you name it, they've had it. Fish oils, everything. Okay, mm-hmm. you can't find, you'd be hard-pressed to find healthier kids. They are extremely physically active, completely developed musculature, very high cardio. So I'm looking at them and I'm going, okay, so from birth, they've had everything that you're supposed to do. Like their Mm -hmm. immune systems, they have not been vaccinated. They are operating at the highest level of health that is probably possible within a modern, modernized Mm -hmm. world. Do I need to be worried about them being in school in a school with Wi-Fi, or do I say, well, because I'm doing all this on the back end, they will be okay because their bodies will be able to repair the damage, their bodies will have good detoxification systems, or should I still be going, but that is an added stressor, I don't know the consequences, I should take them out. Okay, um, I would agree that your children are probably able to withstand the stress without having damage to their system compared with some child who 
um, is brought up on junk food, you know, doesn't get a good night's sleep, um, doesn't exercise, sits in front of the boob tube all, all the time, my, my, I would hazard a guess that your kids would probably be in a much better uh, condition to, with toler- to withstand the stress or tolerate the stress. However, we don't know what the long-term consequences are. Wi-Fi exposure to or microwave exposure of young children has just started in this generation. Yeah. You know, when I was young, I wasn't exposed, and um, and I, you know, one of the things I was told is that you know this generation uh, might be the first where the parents outlive the kids because of all the toxins we have in the environment, including mm-hmm. the microwave radiation. That's a very disturbing concept. Since we don't know what the long-term consequences of even the slow-level exposure is. I think, you know, I would prefer to to err on the side of caution. If I were a school principal, I wouldn't tolerate this, even if Health Canada, you know, um, said it was safe. If I, if I thought the kids would be harmed by this, I simply wouldn't tolerate it in my school environment. And I would just wish more principals and, and school superintendents had that perspective rather than blindly believing in authority figures like Health Canada. But they're saying, they don't, they're saying they don't have the power. Oh, they do. As a matter of fact, in Ontario, quite recently, um, there's been a lot of of news on this recently in Ontario, and and one of the things the Board of Education said, it's up to the individual schools uh, to decide how they want to go. So basically, they're passing the buck. They're saying, we're not going to make the decision for you. You decide. And Mm -hmm. that's what I find. Everyone is passing the buck. And at some stage, you've got to say, the buck stops here, and I'm going to take this into, you know, I'm going to take responsibility for the lives and the health of my children or the children in my school or the you know the children in in you know this community and then you do what you believe is right in order to to live up to that mhm well and so let's move on to another aspect of of this whole um you know occurrence and let's let's get away from wireless computers let's talk about cell phones because our school has a policy, it's an elementary school, it has a policy mm-hmm. that no cell phones are to be turned on in the school or on the school grounds at any time. Mm-hmm. So that's the policy. Now, it, you know, enforcing that policy is an entirely different um, thing. And I, I've said to the principal, listen, these are children. Mm-hmm. They are texting each other underneath their desk. <laughs> they right. are, they are, they, as soon as recess, they go outside because, you know, my kids are telling me, look, so-and-so has their cell phone on in their pocket all day, and he's sitting two desks away from me. Mm-hmm. So the principals said, well, if you come and tell me, I will t- I will take the phone away from that child for the day, and I will explain to that child. Okay, great. But you know what else the principal said? On the other hand, she said, you know, I have parents like you coming in, and your position is that cell phones and wireless computers are dangerous and you want them out of the school. She said, I have a whole other set of parents coming in to me saying, why are you making my child turn off their cell phone? My child should be accessible to me all day long. I want my child's cell phone left on so that I can text or I can reach him when I need to. But why would they need to reach them during class? Well, because they're all psycho about this. They've all gone nuts over this technology. Like you said, you go out for dinner and they're checking it every half an hour. People Mm -hmm. have gone a bit crazy. Mm -hmm. So, But I found it interesting seeing it from her perspective that She's she's being like she's being like whammed from both sides because mm-hmm. she's got one set of parents saying this and she's got another set of parents saying that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen even you know when I've tried to share the information with other parents, um, I've got they don't them, want you know, to know. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Oh no, they're like, you know, you you should not be doing this. Take me mm-hmm. off the list. How you know you're abusing the list and then mm-hmm. making jokes. Oh look, I've got my cell phone. Am I going to get a brain tumor? You know, ha mm-hmm. ha. Yeah. You know, so it's it's the resistance is quite um, entrenched from all sides. It is. Yeah. But but now let me ask you another another scenario because all right, so I got a neighbor. All right, she's got cordless phones that she's on a lot. Mm-hmm. She's got two computers. Uh, that are both wireless, mm-hmm. and the adults are on one and the children are on the other. The children have Nintendos that they play wireless because they play each other. Mm-hmm. And her kids are all under the age of eight. She's got three kids under the age of eight. Now, she's looking at her family going, look, if this technology is so dangerous, somebody would be showing some signs of something. And I'm saying, well, maybe you don't know what signs to look for. So mm-hmm. based on what you know, with that kind of oh, and her house is also a thousand meters away from a power line, a, a mm-hmm. huge power line with cell phone towers sitting on top of it. So she does have the other exposure coming into her house as well. Mm-hmm. What should she look for in her kids as a checklist to go? Are they doing this? Are they exhibiting this? So that maybe what she perceives as her children not being effective, affected mm-hmm. by this, maybe they mm-hmm. actually are. What would you tell her to look for? Well, the symptoms of electrical sensitivity are quite long, but I'll I'll list the most common ones. Um, They include difficulty sleeping, so not having a restful sleep at night, uh, waking up in the morning tired, feeling fairly tired during the day. Some people call it chronic fatigue, and and those are the symptoms. Having body aches and pains, which seems to be more of a problem in in adults rather than children. But children do get headaches, and um, that's very uncommon for kids to to develop headaches. Um, Difficulty concentrating, problems with poor short-term memory, uh, difficulty focusing on anything, uh, having mood disorders, either depression, anxiety, irritability. Uh, Skin problems is another one that comes up quite regularly where you just develop a rash or something on your skin that you know, might go away, might stay, um, but it doesn't... Does it look like eczema? It it could look like eczema. Actually, eczema can can be exacerbated by this, and it can clear up Mm -hmm. when you're no longer exposed. We've had one one individual um, whose health, her eczema virtually went away uh, when they stopped their exposure, Um, but I don't know if that'll happen, you know, for everyone. Um, So skin problems is another one. Nausea, uh, some dizziness, in severe cases, vertigo. Uh, nightly urinations, uh, we find that adults have to go more regularly at night and children might bed wet when they're exposed to this radiation, whereas they don't do it when they're not exposed. Nosebleeds actually is one of the symptoms uh, in some cases. So there, there are really quite a few, oh, ringing in the ears, um, difficulty with vision um, that's sporadic, it, it changes, your vision goes bad and then it, then it improves again. Um, these any, are the, any digestive or bowel? Um, I I don't know about things like uh, constipation or diarrhea, but nausea is one of one of the problems. And very often, individuals who are sensitive, they just don't have an appetite. They just don't want to eat because they're feeling kind of nauseous. Mm. Gotcha. So the you know so once again you know th- these could be brought on by a lot of things. So it's not just this. But if if kids have those symptoms, I'd be very concerned about that. Uh, and just by reducing- and like you said, like you said, these things can be brought on by a lot of things, and so the way to test would be switch to wired computers, get rid of the cordless phone in the house, and even just reducing that amount of exposure 
and, and get them not to play their Nintendos on wireless mode anymore. Okay. Um, if they play their Nintendos just regularly, is that okay? Well, oh yes, yeah, that should be fine. As long as it's wired, it shouldn't be a problem at all. And what about a Wii? I haven't ever measured a Wii, so I, I don't, I don't want to hazard a guess on that. But that's obviously something I should do because kids are exposed to that. So. Yeah. Well, and there's more and more toys coming out that have a wireless component. Yeah, I don't so, buy any of those for my grandkids at all because I just don't want right. them exposed. You know, I, and as much fun as they are to play with, you know, it's. Uh, um, you know, they can find something else that's not not um, exposing them. Now, there are things you can, there are things you can do if you happen to live near someone who has this technology. There are there's film you can put on your windows that blocks uh, some of the radiation coming in. So if you happen to live near a cell phone tower, for example, and, and you you know you can't you can't move for whatever reason. Um, and you just want to minimize your exposure, you can put a special film on your windows that will reflect anywhere from 80 to 90% of the radiation back out. Um, there's fabric you can put on your windows as curtains that um, uh, allows a little bit of the light in and uh, keeps the radiation out. Extremely sensitive people put a, put, take this fabric and make a canopy around their bed so that during the night they're sleeping in a very, very clean environment. And that allows their body to recover, and so during the day they can tolerate it somewhat better as a result. Some people wear clothing that has silver fabric, silver fiber, mesh, uh, mesh uh, and that reflects the radiation. Some electrically sensitive people swear by it, and others can't use it. It irritates them. So it's a very individual um, thing as to whether or not it, it actually helps you or, or has no effect or makes it worse. But we've measured the radiation blockage, and it's it's considerable with these these materials. Do you think, because I know I thought, oh, good, well, I'll just get my kids, I'll make them, you know, some clothing out of this mm -hmm. um, radiation-blocking right. fabric, and then they'll be fine in school. And then someone said, no, don't do that, because because of the silver in the fabric, mm -hmm. it then becomes highly conductive. So if you're looking at a high electrical environment like a school, mm -hmm. you may be blocking the radiation, but now the child is the conducting. That's right. Which is, you know, you've sort of 12 or a dozen, you've changed one for, you know, something that can be equally bad. So then I'm like, well, now what do I do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But some people who are very sensitive, they will they will wear uh, something over their clothing when they travel, so they're not exposed mm -hmm. as much. And they do claim that they, they feel much better as a result. So, as I say, it has to be an individual thing as to whether or not you feel better. And if once your body becomes that sensitized, it will tell you whether or not it's, it's a good thing for your body to have or not. Most of us are so out of tune with our body that we just don't, you know, we, we have tension and pain and we don't even, we're not even aware of it. Uh, but electrically sensitive people don't have that luxury and um, they're very sensitive and, and can tell whether or not something is good for them or is harming them. But by the same token, then we're back to that same dilemma of, okay, well, it makes me feel better, so now I can continue to go to school, but we don't mm -hmm. know what the long term. What the long term, correct. Correct. Of, of the biological processes being disrupted in the body are going to be. That's so, right. in a way, I'm almost thinking, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's half a solution, but if it means that in five or ten years your child's going to have cancer or leukemia, mm -hmm. well, what's the point? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I mean, 
I think as as people become more and more educated, I mean, my own children, because they read my blog posts and we discuss things, mm-hmm. my eldest son, who's 10, he got to the point where he said, you know what, I, I'm not going to school. And, and my husband, of course, had a fit. He's just using this as an excuse to stay home from school. And mm-hmm. I said, well, you know what, he actually is, is very cognizant of the facts. And so I said, okay, well, if you're going to stay home from school, why don't you do a report? Mm-hmm. on this technology and on the dangers of it, especially pertaining to children. So the week that he stayed home, that's what he did. And, and then we actually turned that into a website, mm-hmm. radiationeducation.com. And because the kids are now starting to say, well, you know, meanwhile, everybody's telling us it's safe, but we're the ones who are there getting radiated every day mm-hmm. while mom and dad stay home in a low-radiation environment. Right. You know, it's, and so it's just you, you start to go, I'm living in a surreal world here because I'm sending my kids. Like if you said to me, would you work in an office that has Wi-Fi, I would say no way. Mm-hmm. But yet I'm sending yeah. my kids to a school that has wireless because I'm feeling – so trapped. I've got opposition from my husband who says, look, it's it's nuts. They are going to be okay. They're strong. Look at them. They're fine. Do you know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. so much. It's it's almost like the vaccination issue when it yes. first came out, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, you're the only one saying the world is round and everybody else is saying it's flat. It's, it's very similar to that, yeah. And the fact that, you know, 90% of the population thinks the world is flat doesn't make it flat. Exactly. So um, it's not a it's not a popularity contest as to whether the information is correct or not. Someone's correct. We don't know who, but we will in a few years' time. Well, and also then you have to look at the existing cancer rates. I yeah. mean, they're one in three. Oh, it's, it's horrible. Exist- I mean, come on. Obviously, there's something very wrong with what we're doing mm-hmm. on a daily basis to have yeah. cancer rates that are that high. That's right. Actually, Dr. Sam Millam just wrote a, a book called um, Dirty Electricity, and he believes that cancers, heart disease, depression, diabetes are all diseases of, of our you know, 21st century diseases, and he's linked every single one of them to electromagnetic exposure in studies that have been done. And so if he he's not just talking about this microwave radiation, he's talking about power lines, dirty electricity, things like that, right? That's right. He's talking about the whole whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's another argument you see on on internet sites where people are, you know, say there's a news story and then people post their comments mm-hmm. and they're like, you know, these are the same Luddites. I remember this whole thing erupted when, you know, electricity and people were going crazy over power lines. And look, it's yeah. all fine. Nothing ever happened with that. And I'm saying everybody is so misinformed. Well, actually quite a bit happened. We now have um, low-frequency magnetic fields classified as a Class 2B carcinogen, which means possibly carcinogenic. And that was based on childhood leukemia studies. So so something did come out of that. Mm-hmm. And we know it's occupationally related to various types of cancers, from breast cancer to brain tumors and to leukemia in workers who are exposed to high levels of magnetic field in their jobs. So... Okay, so let, let's talk about some of those, um, because when I look at this, the cancer cluster studies near cell towers, okay, mm-hmm. they say, you know, they always talk about you've got cancer clusters near cell towers, mm-hmm. but it's rare that they define what that distance, and then I found a study, it's called the NILA study, concluded that the risk of newly developing cancer was three times higher among those patients who had lived during the past 10 years within a distance of 400 meters from a cellular transmitter. Mm-hmm. 
in comparison to those that had lived far away. Well, what's far away? This is the other thing that's driving me nuts. Can somebody give me, can you give me some clear, what's the distance, what's the minimum distance you should be from a cell tower? Well, most of the studies are showing three to 400 meters. That's what they're documenting for cancers and for symptoms of electrosensitivity. Um, So I I think that's probably fairly good. If you want to be on the safe side, probably 500 meters would be the best um, estimate. Uh, But beyond that, 500 meters from a cell tower. That's right. When it comes to broadcast towers like radio and television, do you remember we talked about them right at the beginning? And we know they're not at microwave frequencies. They're at lower frequencies, but they're more powerful. And so the um, distance from those is anywhere from 2 to 4 kilometers. So if you're near a broadcast antenna for a TV station or a radio station, then ideally you should be between, you should be at least uh, four kilometers away. And that's what the studies are showing. Cause there's and no when you cancer. say, you say, and we discussed the difference between the frequency, when you say they're more powerful, are you talking about voltage? No, I'm talking about wattage. The wattage, wattage is the, okay. the power that they have. The more right. powerful they are, the greater area they can reach. Right, okay. so you have some radio stations that can do, you know, they spread out in, you know, from Ontario to to the uh, United States, and then some are local. You know, they service a, a community, so they don't have the same amount of power, the wattage, uh, for their station. And then, how about power lines? You know, like the great big ones. Yeah, they're there. We're concerned primarily about the voltage. They're called um, high voltage transmission lines. So they. The higher the voltage, the higher the electric field, and the more current they carry, the thicker the wires or the more wires they are, the higher the magnetic field. So it's those two things we're we're most concerned about. And so what would be the safe distance that you would need to be away from those? Um, For them, I'm trying to remember, um, it it depends to... You know, it's interesting. Most people think the high-voltage transmission lines are the ones we should avoid, but the ones on your street have very high magnetic fields sometimes. So their voltage is, their electric field is low, but their magnetic field is high. And, you know, if you're on a street and you're 20, 30 meters away, you're probably being exposed to an elevated magnetic field. Um, and that comes into your home. Unlike the electric field that doesn't, it's it's blocked by, by the brick and mortar and windows and everything else. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, so the electric field the is electric just outside. Field. But the magnetic field penetrates, and um, I'm trying to think. I think it's about 100 meters, at least 100 meters away. Um, you'd get very close to background levels from the big power lines. Yeah, mm-hmm. or the street the from big. the big power lines. Oh, okay. So the big power lines are a lot less dangerous than I thought they were. It's the electric field that's a problem with them. So if you're outside, you're going to be exposed to very high electric field. As a matter of fact, right. some of these lines will light up a fluorescent tube. There's enough electricity to excite the molecules in a fluorescent tube. And you can you go stand there with a fluorescent tube. Oh, yeah. You hold up. up a tube and it'll light up. Oh, my Lord. Well, that's yeah. a good test. Yeah. <laughs> that's an easy test. Because around here, we a lot of these people, they've got them in their fields. And their house is sitting underneath, and their uh, cows are in the field nearby. Yeah, yeah. Cows tend to abort um, uh, when they when they're near power lines, uh, or they don't take. They have real problems with reproduction. Some of them have. Well, don't don't all these different sources of of both electric and magnetic radiation don't they really depress milk production in cows as well? Yes, yes, they do. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. and they, they cause egg embryos to mutate, and they're causing all kinds of damage to the animals, aren't they? They are, and the vets are telling me that more and more animals um, are coming down with cancers in cities compared to countries where you're closer to the power lines than you would be out in the country environment. So there's an increased um, incidence of of cancers and pets that live near power lines. So that brings me to another question. So from an electromagnetic perspective, mm-hmm. is it going to be safer to live in a city where, let's say, you're the safe, you're, the distances we just talked or talked about from the cell tower, from the radio TV, from the power lines, you're a safe distance away from all those sources, mm-hmm. or in the country, but let's say you've got a humongous cell tower out there because it has to reach, you know, a much um, bigger area. Right. Because they, if you're in the country, don't they gen, then really up? That's right. The more powerful. Be? Yeah. That's yeah. Right. That's right. So well, where would you be safer? Well, the safest, the, the the best way to find out is what to measure what you're exposed to. That's the best way. You know, we can guess as to, you know, um, uh, what you'd be exposed to, but the best thing to do is actually measure it. It also depends on how much metal is around you. So if you're in an office and you have a metal filing cabinet, metal re- reflects this radiation. So you can get a double whammy if it's coming through your window and then it's bouncing off a metal filing cabinet. That's why right. it's so important to measure. There's too many things that affect the your actual exposure. So distance alone is just a it's a poor surrogate. It's one surrogate that you can use, but it's not it's not great by itself. And then one thing came to my mind before when you were talking about putting the protective film on the windows if right. your neighbors have Wi-Fi or if you're near a cell tower. Is that going to cut it enough? Because can't that can't the cell and, and well, I'm not sure about the cell, but I think the Wi-Fi radiation comes in through the walls, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it'll come in through the walls. More, more of it will come through a window than through a wall. It depends what, okay. what your walls are made of. Um, so it will only reduce it. It won't eliminate it. Um, right. That's why some people sleep under this canopy, so they eliminate it. They, you know, eliminate their exposure for the eight hours they're in bed at night. But then I've also heard you have to be careful. You still you have to put your canopy up, and then you have to remeasure because if you've got something coming from under the floor, oh, you've got to put it and, under your floor. You're totally boxed in. It's like ah, building a par- 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 uh, Faraday cage for yourself, basically. Gotcha. So you have to be totally boxed in. If you have something coming up under the floor, it'll magnify within this canopy. Right. Yeah. So you just box in the whole thing. You know, that might be something that, you know, might be a good idea to do anyway for everybody. Mm-hmm. Just as, I mean, have you done that with your bed? No, I'm in a very clean environment. Um, there's no cell towers near me. I filter my electricity. I don't have any cordless technology except for one cordless phone that doesn't radiate all the time and I use it only when absolutely essential so um, I I have a cell phone that I hardly ever use only when I travel and it's for me to make calls rather than for people to reach me so um, I I minimize my exposure I use wired internet access at home and I use wired internet access at at, uh, work as well and you don't have anything coming in from your neighbors uh, no, no. We had um, our neighbors had a cordless phone, and I I mentioned this to them, and they've replaced it with a corded phone, because I actually said, you know, you're being exposed much more than I am, but I'm picking it up in my home. Our homes are separated by about thirty, forty feet, so I'm I'm quite fortunate in that regard. 
I'm now beginning to pick up some of the Wi-Fi from neighbors, and I'm going to ask them if they'll just shut it off in the evening so that uh, when I'm sleeping I'm not exposed. But my exposure is very low. People who are electrically sensitive have come to my home, and, and they see, say they feel very comfortable in it. They don't have any of their symptoms. Right. So, But really, you're still participating in that don't-know factor. Yes, yes. And I try to minimize my exposure as much as I possibly can. Yes. You know, I'm not excessive about it. I, You know, I travel on airplanes and I go to airports and, you know, I'm in hotels that sometimes have wireless and, and so I'm stuck with it. But I'm not exposed nearly as much as most of my colleagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's such a, it becomes a real, I mean, it can keep you up at night just, and especially for me as a mother. See, me as an adult, I, I feel safe with your approach, right? And that's what I do for myself. Mm-hmm. But with my kids, I wonder if it's enough. Yeah, you want to be even more careful with them. I agree. I agree. You know, I'm wondering if, okay, do we need to move to, say, 20 or 30 acres and stick the house in the middle? And, you know, like how far do we need to go so that in 10 years my kids aren't, you know, don't have a cancer? Or uh, Mm -hmm. it's so hard to know. It is. And you can't eliminate all stress and you know, in a person's life, but you can certainly minimize it. You know, there are communities. There's a community, it's called Green Bank in West Virginia, and it's near a radio telescope. And um, it's a, a huge radio telescope that's picking up microwaves and radio frequencies from outer space. And because they have to, they're, they're picking up very, very weak signals, um, they won't allow cell phone use in the community. You can't have cordless phones. You can't have wireless routers. Uh, you, oh. can't even ha- you can't even have uh, energy-efficient light bulbs because they produce this radiation because it will interfere with the radio telescope. So people who are electrically sensitive have actually gone to live there because they know that you can't put up a cell tower. It's hmm. It's illegal. Um, and so I think you've got to, you know, and there are a few communities like that that are popping up where electrically sensitive people go and they're trying to keep it as clean as possible. Right. So maybe just wait for more of those to be. Mm-hmm. Because, see, then we we come to the same thing. It's like, okay, so we move to 20 acres out in the country, but then what if they start adding more cell towers out exactly. there? Exactly. It's almost impossible to, you know, go places and assume that nothing will ever come into your neighborhood. I think what we really need to do is educate the general public and educate the government, get the guidelines reduced, um, educate doctors so that when patients come to them with these symptoms, instead of just giving them pills to reduce the pain or to put them to sleep or to get rid of the depression, they actually ask them a few questions about what they have in their homes and ask them to make changes in their environment, and that will actually help their symptoms as well. Do you think another common one is anxiety? Because yes, when you were talking is. about the heart and the chest and the that sound, to, I, I had a friend who was describing an anxiety attack, and that sounded mm-hmm. exactly like what she experienced. Yeah. That's right, and that's what people tell me. They're, it's like they're having an anxiety attack, and and I just tell them to go out of, away from the environment they're in, just to move somewhere. And if it's if this is what's causing it, their attack will go away, and that's basically what they end up doing. When it's children, they don't they don't understand this, and, and they get scared. And so I tell parents to explain that to their children as well. I have one friend who has a daughter who has these attacks, and she was going for some medical care at a hospital, and they had a lot of wireless technology, and her daughter developed all of the symptoms, you know, had an anxiety attack. And the mother was had, was cool enough headed that she said, look, 
we're going to be in here for a little while. As soon as we go out, it's going to go away. And she was right. The, you know, she took the daughter out of the environment as soon as they could get out, and the attack went away. And it wasn't an attack, a fear of hospitals or anything like that. It was really something that was brought on by the wireless uh, and electromagnetic uh, pollution in, in that part of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Well, and yes, that's another huge thing is that a lot of the hospitals are going and have already gone wireless for all their communication and that's patient right. monitoring. And mm-hmm. so you well, at one stage, you, you couldn't go into a hospital with your cell phone because it would interfere with sensitive equipment, you know, that was particularly equipment in intensive care. And what they're doing now is they're um, shielding that equipment so your wireless communication can't interfere with it, but we're not able to shield the people who are also responding. They're interfered with. And so right. so we can protect the equipment, but we can't protect individuals as readily. Yes. So I think, I mean, basically what the conclusions I'm going to take from this discussion is that each of us needs to do whatever we can to help educate people. Um, and also, like for the children, um, you know, the decision to pull them out of school or whatever aside, um, we have some forms on radiationeducation.com that parents can download, and they're the, the wireless consent forms. So basically they say, listen, my child is not to be in a room where wireless computers are active, right. nor is my child to do any work on a wireless computer. I think it even states in there that they can't be right next to a wall adjoining a room where wireless computers are being added. And there's another document to try and get your principal to sign to take liability responsibility. That's and whether right. they will or not is probably, but at least they're then being forced to acknowledge mm-hmm. that my decision in this school, I am actually in a position of liability and maybe if they see enough parents walking in saying you take you're saying this is safe you take responsibility Mm -hmm. maybe the principals will start to think a little bit differently that's right and they should also talk to legal counsel for the school because i know some insurance agencies no longer no longer insure you if you develop a brain tumor and you use a cell phone Mm -hmm. so um you know they don't they want to cut their losses (laughs) and so they're they've decided to take that route and and if you don't have the appropriate insurance in a school, that's also going to be very costly in the long run. Well, I've heard something about that um, Health Canada, like Medicare, has moved. Is it some of the treatment for, for brain tumor patients as outpatient procedures or mm-hmm. procedures that you have to pay for yourself? Mm-hmm. Pardon? Oh, sorry, I heard that again? I've heard that uh, Medicare has revised the, you know, their coverage for brain tumors, that there's right. now certain aspects of your care and your drugs that you now have to pay for yourself. Oh, I didn't know. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I I don't have the hard, I, it was just a, you know, someone at a talk, a lecture mm-hmm. mentioned that, but I haven't seen the actual uh, information from Medicare about that. But mm-hmm. it, it would make sense if the insurance companies are moving it out of their jurisdiction and people are the people who really are looking at the science are going, you know what, we are going to have a whole lot of these cancers coming down the pike. We're not going to financially be able to cover it. What can we do to cover our butts now before Joe Public becomes aware of it and can take action, right? Yeah. So, And then the other thing I'm going to take away from this call um, is that to just do what you can to – protect and reduce your exposure within your home environment. At least that you can get that restorative sleep at night where the body has a chance to repair things. Mm -hmm. That's right. So putting the film on the windows or the curtains or... Mm -hmm. um, You know what else I was wondering? One last question. 
the radiation shielding fabrics that I looked at, some of them were highly radiation blocking, so they had a much higher silver content Mm -hmm. than others, which were almost like a light gauzy material. So they did block a lot, but I thought, well, maybe because of the lower silver content, they would be less conductive. Do you think those would be suitable for a school environment? No, I, uh, the ones I've tested, I wouldn't bother, uh, bother with uh, the ones that only block 30, 40 percent. They're not, they're not nearly as good, and uh, I wouldn't even bother with them. I'd use the really, the ones that really do block um, to protect you against the radiation. Right. And I think it's important not to have it against your body to use it as outer clothing rather than underwear. Yeah. Um, so that it's not in touch with your skin. Yeah. Right. And then do you think that um, you would need to then see, because then we get into the problem of, well, is it going to conduct electricity around? Is mm-hmm. it going to draw electricity to the child? Mm-hmm. What Do you have an opinion on that, whether it's best to use it or not use it? I think it's so much of an individual issue, so I would just recommend people to try it and see how their body reacts to it. Right. If it's if it's drawing electricity to them, they will feel it, and it won't make them feel well. And okay. I think that's why some of the people are complaining that, that it makes them feel worse, because that's exactly what doing in the environment they're in. So it's very much environment-specific. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Magda. Oh, you're very welcome, Jeannie. This has been a, a fabulous exchange of, of information, and it's really been useful because when you do the research, um, and this is what my son found, is that you, you almost need a, a postdoctoral degree to just even understand, you know, everything. And, and there's so many, you know, facets. Like you were talking, there's wattage, there's volt voltage, there's frequency, there's pulse, there's non-pulsed. It's like, you know, you almost have to go back to school to be able to get a handle on all these things. So it's been wonderful talking to someone like you, who can take those things that are very complex and confusing and you know, put them into terms that all of us can understand and, you know, really take in a practical way. So well, thank, thank you very for much. That. Okay. And uh, we, do you have anything else that you would like to say or anything that you feel is important for people to know just before we close? Well, I guess, you know, I'm I'm very much pro-choice in the sense that I think people should make up their own minds as to what they want to be exposed to or not. Once you've become electrically sensitive, you lose that choice because you, you simply cannot be in certain environments. And so it's so important to protect your health and to keep keep everyone as healthy as possible for as long as possible. And that means voluntarily minimizing your exposure at home, at work, at school. And I think we really have to protect the children. Uh, if we don't know whether there are long-term health effects of this technology, then we should definitely err on the side of caution and not expose them in a school environment for hours each day and not expose them in a home environment uh, for hours each day and during the night as well. So I think it's really the responsibility is in our hands. You know, the buck stops with each one of us, and we have to make the right decisions for for our family and uh, for ourselves. That's very, very good advice. For more information about Dr. Magda Havas or to contact her, you can go to her website at www.magdahavas.com. That's spelled M as in mother, 
A G as in go, D as in dog, A H A V as in Victor, A S dot com. And for more information about getting Wi Fi out of your children's schools, the particular effects that it has on children, and all of the forms that you can get your principal to sign, that you can pass around to other mothers in your school, a whole bunch of resources, go to radiationeducation.com. That's www.radiationeducation.com.